Looking for the latest perspectives to help simplify changing market conditions? Go to Nationwide, one of America's largest financial services companies. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Joining us from D.C. on what is shaping up to be an historic week, Tom Keen, you've got a special guest for us. Well, John, it's going to be very interesting. If you remember yesterday afternoon, here's the headline buried in the news flow. The Bank of England governor, Andrew Bailey. This is at the IIF annual membership meeting yesterday in conversation with Tim Adams, the president and chief executive officer of the Institute. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. International finance, and we begin today's coverage in Washington with uh, Mr. Adams, with his deep experience with the Bush administration and with international economics, certainly, Tim, in time of crisis. So thank you so much for starting our day uh, strong. We've got Axel Weber coming up as well, much more on Europe and that. What was it like yesterday when Governor Bailey set reset the global debate? Well, thanks, Tom. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, thank you for having me. You know, look, I think we're hearing from, from Governor Bailey and others who will have Corota and uh, Christine Lagarde today. They're serious. They're serious about taking the punch bowl away. It's time to reverse the policies we've seen over the past seven to eight years. It's time to move on to the new normal. And I think Andrew said he's, he's ready to get on with it. Uh, Stanley Fisher five years ago, six years ago, talked of ultra-accommodative. We clearly moved through accommodative. We're trying to search for neutrality. And even some of these bankers desire a restrictive state. 
does that put out the zombie companies? Is the final result of all of this movement that we eliminate the zombie companies and indeed, I say, the zombie banks of which you represent? Yeah, well, uh, I don't represent zombie banks. The banks are in good shape. But yes, the zombie companies are going to go away, and they should. This is creative destruction. This is the way cycles work. And for far too long, we've had cheap uh, liquidity, an abundant amount of liquidity, and we funded a lot of firms, a lot of sectors that probably shouldn't be in business. We need to redeploy those resources, those assets, in more productive ways. You said on the political side of this debate, serving uh, the younger President Bush, would you suggest the politicians have power here or renewed power with uh, British yields out at 5%, with yen at 146? What's the power of politicians this morning? Well, the politicians want it both ways. They want to get rid of inflation as quickly as possible because they see it every day, uh, gasoline prices, for example. But they want to do it in a painless way. They want to do it in a way that doesn't create disruption. That's very difficult to do. Central bankers have probably the toughest job they've ever had right now. Okay, I'll go with that. But Secretary Geithner, 15 years ago, 17 years ago, would say the solution is to extend the timeline. Why are we in such a hurry to, to bury the economy into a global recession. What's the race here? You know, I think there's a sense of catch-up that they waited too long. Granted. And so they want to make up. I think some of it is just uh, bringing back the reputation of the institutions. There's a concern that maybe some, the Fed or other institutions, have lost some of the uh, reputation as being tough. I think Jay wants to prove a point. And I think you heard from Andrew yesterday, he wants to prove a point, too. Can they stop and pause? They can. I don't know that they will. It depends on what they might see. Obviously, there's a lot of turmoil around the world. War in the continent of Europe, gasoline prices, uh, as mm -hmm. we see from OPEC. I think they're pretty adamant about moving ahead. I must turn to banking. Of course, the great mystery, and this goes back to Fortis of Belgium uh, years ago, which is where in Europe there were transactions and combinations across borders. That's always a challenging thing. With the challenges at a selected Swiss bank, do you look for transactions and combinations within the members of the Institute of International Finance? We do. And, you know, risk assessments are an important part of what we do here. That's why we have a board of 50 institutions that uh, come the world. So we constantly talk about risk. Our board meeting tomorrow will be a conversation about where do we see weaknesses in the system and how do our institutions communicate with each other. Okay, I, I'll, I'll go with that. But the reality is selected regions, book values of banking are, to use an American phrase, flat on their back. Yeah. What is the urgency right now to pick a region within European banking? Well, we know uh, book-to-value uh, ratios in Europe are pretty soft. But Europe needs something different than just monetary policy. They need consolidation. You have 4,000 institutions across exactly. the Exactly. And so How we need consolidation. And Well, you need Brussels and capitals to act. We need a consolidated capital market, which benefits U.S. firms here. We have the largest capital market in the U.S., which helps the J.P. Morgans and Bank mm -hmm. of Americas, which we'll hear from today and tomorrow here. But Europe needs banking consolidation and you need capital market union. You are steeped in Washington and in the politics of a traditional Republican Party, which some people would say has gone the way of a fossil uh, in, in that. What does the Biden administration need to do to solidify American leadership other than to generate a strong dollar? 
Well, we need to deal with energy, and I think they've tried to do it both ways. One is to talk about a climate transition, which we should, but in the near term, we've got to find ways to produce more oil and get it to pipe to the place it needs to be. We need to address near-term security and affordability concerns. Are you going to make headlines today like you did with uh, Governor Bailey yesterday? Is that a redux here with Lagarde? Come on. We are indeed. Stick around. It's going to be a big day. Tim Adams, thank you so much. Uh, With the Institute of International Finance, John, and I'll tell you, if he can do back-to-back, John, with Christine Lagarde, what he did with Andrew Bailey yesterday, John, our jobs are a threat. Hey, TK, thank you. Great work down in Washington. Seeking timely market and economic updates to help guide client conversations? Look to Nationwide. Nationwide makes simplicity a priority for financial professionals by offering easy access to timely perspectives on changing market conditions, so more time can be focused on helping clients keep their financial plans on track. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, FINRA member, Columbus, Ohio. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. You know what my favourite guest is? Someone who used to be a central banker but isn't anymore because they can now tell you what they think. And all of them come out really harshly and say, they're you know, all making a terrible mistake. Why aren't they going more aggressively? They, they're just so much more open about their feelings about the situation. Tom Keane, I think you've got the perfect guest to do just that. Oh, my interview of this meetings of the International Monetary Fund and is here at the Institute of International Finance. Axel Weber is the force of the IIF, the chairman, but I must say far more importantly, the former president of the Bundesbank, his service to UBS is noted as well. We begin a one-hour conversation. We're going to have to cram one hour, Axel, into the moment at hand. You taught a course at Booth School Chicago, Central Bank Theories and Facts. What is the fact right now for Jay Powell? I think the fact is that central banks are in a really bad situation. Uh, They have started late uh, in raising rates. You could see already some some trend break in the price level in late 2000. Uh, They focused on the inflation rate very early, also exome elements that have been going up strongly. And now the central banks are doing uh, big steps uh, to catch up with reality. And there is uh, some mm-hmm. risk in that. So I now look at monetary policy as an independent risk factor. Uh, and I think monetary policy has a way to go. I don't believe that the current inflation rates will come down as easily as is predicted still by most of the central bank models. So right. the tough work is ahead. I, I, I got so many ways to go here. I'm just to squeeze this into time. Do we need to abandon the 2% level, something Bundesbank is comfortable with, something I'm going to say traditional economics is comfortable with, but it's part of the solution to move away from a 2% level of inflation towards a 3% level as appropriate? I think that would completely blow the credibility of all central banks if they were to do that. Uh, they would be dead on arrival uh, because if you 
What you need to do is to re-establish the credibility of the 2% target at a rate running just below 10%. That's a very difficult task. Mm -hmm. So central banks would, in my view, be completely misguided if they mm -hmm. were to question the target now. The point is, get, let's get back okay. to target. And that will take them, you right. know, at least two years. What we're going to do now, folks, is dive into some theory. And we can do this with Professor Weber. Uh, I'm going to work off of a wonderful piece by Ambrose Evans Pritchard in The Telegraph. You can look at a theoretical construct like the Phillips curve, London School of Economics, the 50s, or the Beveridge curve, which Krugman talks about from even farther back as well. Central banking is hinging on a linkage between inflation and employment. Should they do that, or do they need to squeeze right down to a more Germanic focus on inflation? Well, I think they're, they're long term, what really matters is the amount of debt in the, econ in the economy and how it's accommodated by central banks. So I'm still a firm believer that in the long run, the balance sheet of the Fed and monetary policy matter. And in the long run, inflation is right. largely driven by factors like how accommodative are central mm -hmm. banks for government debt. Of course, in conducting monetary policies through the business cycle, right. they need to look at the link between output, growth, employment, and inflation. It's a natural because their setting is within the economic uh, in the economy. But long run, I think they haven't looked at the impact of this ultra easy monetary policy on inflation that was about uh, to come. How naive are we about QT? Original, unfounded, Rubini, among others, made jokes about it. QE, QT, how original is it in that we don't know really what's going to happen with it? No, I think the central banks have amassed a massive balance sheet, all central banks in the world. And if you look at the last 10 years, the fiscal expansion of roughly to the tune of 25% of GDP globally has been accommodated by an expansion of central banks' balance sheet roughly of the same amount. So this additional government debt didn't have to be held in the market, it ended up in another government balance sheet by the central bank, and we haven't seen the interest impact and the long-term inflation impact of that liquidity having to come from the market as opposed to come from another uh, source of government funding. And I think long run, central banks need to bring their balance sheet down. Right. That will put pressure on debt and governments to consolidate. And I think long run, we cannot continue to run deficits that are, you know, mid-single digits and debt that is around 100%. Your history is you are death on short-term, medium-term, long-term analysis. It is a responsibility, a character out of Bundesbank that speaks for itself. Is the short-term path here to just extend things out, to ease up on the raising of interest rates at an appropriate point and use time to heal the wounds of the pandemic and this debt expansion? Well, I think you need to start uh, doing the U-turn. Uh, you know, this is a change in times. Are we just... near the U-turn? I think central banks have started to raise rates uh, late, but uh, in my view, they started. And now what is important is what Jay Powell said at the Jackson Hole speech. You've got, got to keep at it till the job's done, and the job is not mm -hmm. done. Uh, and so central banks have to uh, raise interest rates, and at the same time, they have to reduce their right. balance sheet. How constrained is ECB? How, how many degrees of freedom has Madame Lagarde lost here 
with a war plus the overlay we've been talking Quite about. Quite a few. The ECB is in a worse position than the Fed. Their economy is likely to take a much bigger hit. Uh, their monetary policy mm -hmm. has weakened the euro and that has increased price pressures right. uh, for European citizens. We're much closer to the war and we're much more dependent on China in our exports and China right. is not doing well at the moment. Is it true when you were at Booth School teaching that you gave out no A's and no B's? Were you that tough a grader? No, I wasn't. Uh, I did have some A's and B's, but oh, uh, they were clustered around people that understood the long-term implications. <laughs> Let me remind you, that was in 2011. Yeah. There wasn't a textbook from which you could teach the financial crisis because those textbooks were still to be written. Ten seconds, is there a textbook now for what we're there in? There are good textbooks now, yes. There are good textbooks now. Excellent over there with uh, some assurance here. Of course, the chairman of the Institute of International Finance, a former leader of the Bundesbank. John, you and I would have gotten quality Ds in that course. I'm not sure I would have done that well, Tom. Hey, Tom, do you think Tim Adams wants to be an anchor on Bloomberg Surveillance when you're out? Uh, well, he's, he's smooth. There's no question about it. The gentleman from Kentucky can absolutely get it done. And for that matter, John, I thought Axel Weber was smooth as well. Agreed. Your thoughts, John Farrell, on what we heard from the leader of the Bundesbank? Well, Tom, I think a lot of what we're experiencing right now is some of the stuff he warned about more than 10 years ago, that once you go down this path, yes. it's very difficult yes. to get back out of it. From the ultra-accommodative to where we are right now, it is indeed historic. What I've heard this morning, folks, is this is a once in 40, even 50-year moment for all within finance and Global Wall Street. If you're part of Global Wall Street, this is must listen. It is rare that you speak to anyone in economics who actually read chapter 23 of a textbook which is on finance and bonds. Klaus Knot is a governor of the Dutch Central Bank and is truly expert at linking in economics to the fixed income space, including British yields at 5%. Governor, thank you so much for joining Bloomberg thank uh, today. You. I've got to first go to the ECB questions. Can you explain to me how the ECB can become more restrictive, raise rates 75 basis points with a nominal GDP construction of the continent? Where do they have the animal spirit to withstand ever higher interest rates? Well, I think uh, to answer that question, you ha first have to sort of look at where we are in terms of the starting point. We're still mm -hmm. way below neutral, so policy is still accommodative. So I think it is a, a no regret that we have to end this uh, accommodative uh, phase of policy. And uh, I mean, your question of how deep should we go into restrictive territory once we get there. Well, we cross that bridge when we get there. It is original. Right now you're in accommodative or ultra-accommodative, however you want to phrase it as well. What happens next after the presumed rate increase of the next meeting? Well, I mean, our president has stated very clearly that we are currently in the phase of normalizing interest rates. That means taking them to neutral. Unfortunately, nobody knows with any level of precision right. where neutral is. But I've been saying that we need at least two more significant hikes before we sort of enter the range of plausible estimates for, uh, for neutral. That will take us into next year. And I hope uh, that with the current uncertainty in the markets and the bond market fragility, uh, I hope you don't mind that I don't have my calendar cut out for 2023 already. I don't, I don't have my calendar cut out for 2022 even, even. Some of my staff would say that I don't know where the calendar is for this year as well. I stood at the ECB building with Atmar Issing long ago and far away. And it was a core, let's call it uh, Germanic, Netherlands, 
constituency wrapped around another ECB. In this crisis right now, is the ECB more unified than it was in 2008? We are unified. So I think if you look back over the last few years since the pandemic, all decisions have been taken with a high degree of unanimity. So we are very clear about our mandate. Inflation is way too high. Yes. It is persistent. 11% in the Netherlands. 11%, uh, 17% in the Netherlands, 10% in the euro area. Mm -hmm. And even more important, underlying inflation trends are pointing in the wrong direction. Core right. inflation, almost 5%. So we are determined to bring inflation back to target. And we do understand that this will require some further efforts from our side. This problem is not going mm -hmm. to go away with a little bit of slowdown of the economy. It will require continued effort from our side, and the Council is unanimous on that. In time, I have to go with you to your bond expertise, linking it into a greater economic system. And the idea of yields coming up, prices coming down, with the United Kingdom being in the headlines this morning, it'll be another country uh, next. These are nonlinear functions. How close are we to a second derivative, to a convexity, an acceleration where people like you lose control? Well, I think that need not be the case because that is dependent, I think, on responsible policy. As long as policymakers keep on doing the responsible things, then I do think bond markets uh, can be in control. Uh, but it does put a premium on responsible behavior. Bond markets have become much, much more sensitive to debt sustainability issues. So that puts a burden on our fiscal authorities to also continue to pursue responsible fiscal policies with a medium-term orientation mm -hmm. and with debt sustainability being front and center of their concerns. Is there a textbook on QT? When you're at Groningen, was there anything about QE and QT? No, you're, you're making uh, it up as we go, right? Well, we're making it up as we go, yes. Of course, we learn from the experiences of other central banks. I sure. think the way uh, the Fed is dealing with QT, that's clearly also going to be an example for us. Uh, they managed to move it into the background very quickly. I think a process like QT, it should be predictable, it should be gradual, it should be even a little bit boring, right? I mean, Janet Yellen once quipped, it's like watching paint dry. And that's a little okay. bit, I think, how you want to shape such a program. I think the Fed has been fairly successful right. in that. And if we can take that cue as well, I would be more than happy to do so. It has not been boring for Governor Bailey. He's making it up as he goes literally in the last 24 hours. What are the lessons you've learned from the, pol the nexus of Bank of England and politics in England. What have you learned about when that breaks? Well, first of all, that, that monetary and fiscal policy being at crossroads, with, at cross purposes mm -hmm. with each other, that's a very mm -hmm. dangerous cocktail for, uh, for bond markets. That's the, the first lesson right. that I would say. And secondly, the UK is a little bit in a special position because the bonds they bought are extremely long dated, so they actively have to sell. We in the euro area, like in the US, and we have bonds over the full maturity and we think we can do QT by just rolling off existing bonds by less than full reinvestment, which is naturally a smoother process than right. having to actively sell. My colleague John Farrow adores Vermeer. You're having the mother of all lifetime Vermeer shows in the Netherlands next, next year. year. Can you see our show 
in Amsterdam in support of the Vermeer Show? Oh, yes, of course. I mean, uh, if you want to support it, uh, by all means, I think it's a unique opportunity to see all the Vermeers uh, that are uh, everywhere in the world in a different museum, well, in the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. Absolutely. We would love to have you and Mr. Ruda show You would be more than us. welcome there to go. come and enjoy there we our go, hospitality. Jim. Road trip. Klaus Kanata, the Dutch Central Bank, suggesting we need to be in Amsterdam next year. Yeah, it was his suggestion, so <laughs> I'm buying that. Let's head back down to Washington, D.C. Tom Keene with another fantastic interview. A nice update there, Lisa. And what's really important, folks, off PPI is how important tomorrow's United States CPI numbers will be for these meetings of the World Bank, the IIF, and the International Monetary Fund. Tomorrow will come from the, from the offices of the International Monetary Fund with some important interviews. Right now, we go all-American, and we can do that if you go to the Art Institute of Chicago and go to the very back of the Art Institute, past the Chagall, there is the old trading room of the Chicago Commodity Exchange. It's really something to see from another time and place. That is the CFTC associated with our Midwest, but much more with what to do with derivative instruments. Kristen Johnson is CFTC commissioner. Wonderful to have you here with us today. Have Thanks you so ever much, visited that spiritual room in the back of the Art Institute? I have not, and I look forward to As it. As newly minted commissioner, you must go to the Art Institute and go to the back, and there is part of my family's past. Wow, I'm and headed to Chicago in November. You'll, I'll have you'll to, add have it to, my to see it. Let's add to your list now the discussion everybody wants to have, which is Bitcoin. And I refuse to believe this is a sophomore turf war between Kristen Johnson and my good friend Gary Gensler. How can you two get along on what to do with Bitcoin and not make it a silly turf war? Oh, this is a great question. And not just a great one, a necessary one. To be honest, in the current crypto, onset of the current crypto winner, a $2 trillion asset sell-off. What comes sharply into focus from my perspective is institutional investors and retail investors. Uh, starting with the latter, in fact, what we could think carefully about is the reality that retail investors have suffered significant losses in light of the onset of this crypto winner. Something else I'd share is um, if we couple this thinking with the Bank of New York's announcement yesterday, this is Alexander Hamilton's bank, uh, founded as mm -hmm. one of the oldest in the history of our nation, now acknowledging that it will, on its platform, service not only conventional financial products, but cryptocurrencies, suggesting and signaling that in the near and not so distant future, right. institutional investors <clears throat> will be investing in this space as well. And what's good about this, folks, is they kept from Commissioner Johnson my thoughts on Bitcoin, and we're not going there right now. There's a guy, used to work at JP Morgan, and there's this guy up on the 100th floor named Diamond who's going both ways on uh, Bitcoin. He's saying this is a fraud, and excuse me, Jamie, but something like that. And the other thing is we need to learn about this and do about it. How can CFTC do better than SEC at helping banks on this is a fraud 
versus this is what we need to do to move forward. Let me explain what the CFTC is already doing. What are you doing With, right now? In our remit, we are enforcing to the fullest extent of our authority to ensure against fraud, market manipulation, any types of abuse to retail customers who are heavily engaged, as I mentioned, in this market. So that includes first of their kind lawsuits for pump and dump schemes over the last several months, first mm -hmm. of their kind uh, um, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency asset management fund uh, scams against retail investors, and very, very recently, a first of its kind um, saw that. suit against yeah. a de decentralized autonomous this organization. This is so important. Uh, yeah. Bitcoin, 60,000 down to 20,000 as well. The little guy, and I've seen this folks generational, they fervently believe in Bitcoin. Are they believing in a derivative instrument, the province of the CFTC, or are they believing maybe in a financial asset under SEC 34 and 36, I think? Is it an SEC province yep. thing? Or is it a derivative thing of CFTC? Your question about whether or not the Securities Act Section 2A1 definition of a security put encompasses... Put me right in my place on that. Let's continue on Section A21B. Go. So essentially what we're asking is what qualifies as a security? And in fact, there are two bipartisan bills currently pending in Congress that are working diligently, Senate staffers working diligently to capture an answer to this question. It's a wonderful question that's rich and reflective of the history of financial markets regulation in our nation in 1946. Why can't you two get, I'm going to interrupt, why can't you two get along? Why can't the SEC and the CFTC both work on this which I dubious thing, 60,000 down to 20,000. I'm gonna say we better get along. For the sake of those investors that okay. I referenced earlier, there <clears throat> is a path and we've walked that path before. Have you spoken to Mr. Gensler recently I about have, this? I, I have had the great opportunity to engage with his office, with him, with other commissioners at the SEC. I think we are all in agreement and on one accord that we want to protect right. market integrity and protect the customers who are engaged okay. in, in investing You came in with products. an entourage of 20 people, so typical of the CFTC. <laughs> and someone in your entourage said, don't ask her about the politicians. So let's talk about the politicians. Let's talk about the politicians. Are they in the backseat of all the rich guys doing Bitcoin? These gazillion, you know, they used to have $40 gazillion and now they have $8 gazillion. The eight gazillionaires that are doing Bitcoin, are they buying off the American politicians? I can only tell you what I know, which is chairwoman of the Senate Ag Committee, Debbie Stabenow. Uh, a, a form, a, a, um, I'm a native Michigander, so we are uh, neighbors in many respects. I believe that she is deeply engaged in expanding the remit of the CFTC over spot market transactions for the purpose of ensuring that right. a regulatory gap that exists right now is closed. I got 30 seconds. What happens to the retail investors if Bitcoin breaks support 19,000 and goes down to 16 or 15 or 12. What's the ramifications of that? The ramifications are significant because those investors are the most critical, in my humble opinion, in our markets. And our most sacred task is to ensure the protection of those investors and the integrity of our markets. So okay. I am diligently committed, whatever we have to do. Commissioner, thank I'm exhausted, Lisa. <laughs> Commissioner, thank you so much. Kristen Johnson of the thank CFTC you, there on Section 12, <laughs> Item 2. 2A1, Securities Act, 1933. It's very 2A1, Lisa. Tom, wonderful interview. Thank you so much. And great uh, recitation there of the different provisions and the different subsets. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. 
Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.